Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 7.30 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. <laughs> Alright, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. A Night Shift Radio original. Every week we bring you the good, the bad, the weird, and lesser known streaming movies. Hit subscribe for new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. I got a text message like the, uh-huh. the like millisecond before I clapped. So I heard the ding <laughs> from it and it like threw me off a little bit. I was like, uh, wait, do I? I uh. Clap. Yeah. Ding. So there's ever so slight delay just because of... <laughs> Because of that, mm-hmm. which would be good. Which happened uh, last week, uh, last week's episode. Oh, really? There was a weird delay, uh, and we ended up having to re-upload the episode oh, because no. there was a weird delay between our two things where basically we were we were talking at the exact same time, like every time. So oh, like instead of no. like, I talk, you talk, I talk, you talk, it was just both of us were talking. Oh, no. And I figured out why it happened. Is it because I accidentally clapped more than once? Sure was. Uh, I thought I, <laughs> so. I saw the spike and I put it to that one, but it was oh, the wrong one. <laughs> my God, I did that, and I realized like, oh shit, that's gonna throw him off. And I was like, nah, he'll he'll realize. But no, that was, I sure wouldn't, Caleb. No, I sure wouldn't realize. I, I definitely should have should have said something out loud. In fact, uh, I think I might have done it again this week. So just be be warned. Be warned. Be okay. warned. Yeah. And anyone oh, anyone who listened to the episode the first time it was it was uploaded. I'm sorry. That that was definitely my fault and not Michael's. <laughs> but I mean it was also my bad for not checking. I don't know. I I play the beginning, I play the end. It seemed fine, but all the middle was just us talking at the exact same time. Well and you know what? Like I, I've told you before how one of my favorite well, probably like hands down my favorite show that isn't one of ours is Supernatural with Ashley Flowers. Yeah. Um, that show is now officially done. In fact, it has been for several months. I just didn't realize it because I hadn't caught up. Um, but we have, Ellen and I have now listened to all there is to listen to. Uh, and I, I loved that show and I, and I got her into it. You know, we just loved the way that she tells stories. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll give another podcast show a chance because, you know, they, like, they put out her show and, they have some other ones that sound good. I mean, they've got a lot of stuff yeah. that doesn't really sound that interesting to me, but they they have such a variety of shows, much like what we do. Uh, that was like, one of them has to be good. So I checked out Unexplained. I think it's Unexplained Mysteries. That sounds right. It's not Unsolved Mysteries because that's Robert Stack. Um, although <laughs> yes, th- this right. one, I don't, I don't remember their names off the top of my head because I only listened to a handful of episodes, so I don't have that personal connection yet. Um, but one of the two hosts actually kind of talks a bit like Robert Stack 
And like, it took me a little while to get into the dynamic uh, because there's a lot of like back and forth and like scripted storytelling. Um, but like the more I listened, the more I realized like, okay, like this guy's vibing like, like old unsolved mysteries. And I'm like, I, I dig this. And they were talking like Mona Lisa reincarnation, um, like all sorts of weird oh, Stonehenge. Those like the first, I think, I don't know if all of them are like this, but the first six episodes were like all like three, two parters. So it was the Mona Lisa, the Stonehenge and reincarnation. And like, I like this cause they do like all of this setup and they leave it on a cliffhanger and then they kind of come back and recap the different theories. And then they put forth what they think is the most plausible explanation at the end, but they leave it open ended. Like all of these things are things that people believe. This is what we think, or this is why we do or don't agree with this theory. Uh, and I thought it was actually pretty cool, and I'm 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 definitely gonna listen to more of the show. But uh, in the first couple episodes, they had some pretty major editing flubs. Where like they like in the one about Da Vinci, they're you know, like doing some setup, talking about the various conspiracy theories surrounding him, and they start talking about the Last Supper, and they get in the middle of a sentence, it just skips ahead, and you miss everything that they were talking about. And that, and I forget exactly what it is, but there's another thing. Oh, like in the next. Uh, episode they're like they're going through a point and then all of a sudden it skips back and like you replay like the last like 15 seconds or so or something like that i was like come on y'all but it's their first two episodes so far in the next four they were fine so i think it was just kind of them getting started and this was you know several years back now before they were acquired by spotify because podcast network is all now like uh you know a spotify original from podcast blah, 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 right which i mean major podcast streamers out there. If you're listening, Night Shift Media Group is open to talks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we will, yeah. You you you, you give us the money, I'm, we'll put your, on whatever platform you want. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, when you first started talking about that show, I thought you were talking about Supernatural, the show. Oh, yes. And I was I like, oh, that's cool. I was like, oh, maybe show. they're, I thought maybe they were starting back up again because the Winchesters just debuted last week and oh, that's the prequel yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, That focuses on their parents, right? Yeah, yeah, it's how their parents. It's it shows it's the parents how I met your mother supernatural stuff. It's how I met your mother supernatural stuff. That's exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. Yep, yeah. I watched the first episode, and I was like, it, it, you know, it was fine. Um, but I was like, I feel like I'm on the verge of an inside joke that I don't get. Mm. So like, it felt like a lot of things were like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, but I was like, I don't understand. Cause I didn't, I only watched the show up to like season two or three. Mm, so yeah. there was a lot of things where I was like, I, I'm sure this is relevant to someone, but I don't get it. I can't remember for sure. I think I got up to like season five ish. Maybe I remember mm -hmm. it was like basically after the resolution of like the Leviathan storyline, uh, I, I kind of, it, it fell off for me there, but like it's, it kept going for like another six seasons or more. Yeah. I, I mean, remember, that like, show what, was on forever. What did it actually end up at? Last I knew it it's was at like 13, like I think. 10. Oh, maybe I, I thought know. it was only like 10. It's gotta be way more uh, it's supernatural. I mean, that was a, I mean, that was the show, uh, forever. Let's find out. Well, there's 15, 327 15. episodes. 15 fucking seasons. That um, is crazy. That is a lot. And I I kind I do want to go back and give it another shot because it's especially the first few seasons are so fucking good and like just really like kind of carrying on that tradition of like the X-Files where you've got the monster of the week but then like the overarching storyline and like you know 
Jensen and Jared were so good in this. And then, you know, obviously, like, I love Mark Shepard and, you know, his yeah. performance in Battlestar Galactica and his performance in this show. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is uh, just an absolute treasure. The cast is is always incredible. Uh, and, yeah, I, I should go back and watch it again and try to get through all 15 seasons. 15 seasons, though, is is pretty intimidating for a show to get back into. Like, it's one thing to get back into a show that's like, like I just finished rewatching Parks and Rec, mm -hmm. which is seven season. And even that was that was an ordeal, you know, yeah. but there's only 27 minute long episodes. Yeah, it, it flows so easy. I mean, like those like sub 30 minute sitcoms are so bingeable that yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. But it's those shows that are like 45 to like an hour plus per episode that when you have, especially like you go back to like older shows that maybe have like 20, 30 episode seasons, then it gets real daunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 15 seasons is a lot though, but it's not uh, as much as the seven circles of hell. Oh. <laughs> and oh. that being said, hello and welcome to the Never Admit Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fight. And as Caleb Sokoy. <laughs> <laughs> so we are uh we've got one more episode left after this one but we are almost through our found footage uh october yeah and this list was curated by casey ryan from the Superpod hero cast yeah. thank you very much casey thank you casey uh and as we've mentioned before casey told us that the the scare factor would escalate throughout the month uh and uh, if I remember correctly, he believed that last week would be the uh, the week that I would need my shit and pants. Um, but as I recall, uh, Willow Creek was not particularly scary. There were some some yeah. creepy moments, but it wasn't particularly scary. Uh, it definitely amps up this week. Uh, yep. Although I will say, devil, demons, hell, whatever, fucking caves. Nope, absolutely yeah. not. Uh, this. This movie should have been called Nope. Yeah, this uh, so th this movie aptly gets a lot of parallels to The Descent, which uh, Michael, you know, and I can't remember if I I probably said it on this podcast before, but uh, that probably the single scariest movie that I can remember watching. And again, it's not the monsters that scare me; it's the being in the tight, like underground places where I know I will never come back from. That yeah. is absolutely fucking horrifying to me. And so this like scariest thing i've seen in a very long time yeah this uh this stretched me out and, and the crazy thing about this is that this was it was actually filmed in the catacombs in france so like the in paris so this is like, like they would have been stuck if they're stuck that was it that's like that kept fucking with me for the entire film thinking about like they did this on purpose to get these shots what the fuck would happen if like there was an actual cave in or that like somebody did genuinely get stuck in one of those tunnels. Like, no, absolutely fucking not. Like, no. Yeah. I, I, and, uh, and again, I, I say I to you, hell no. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that is, I think, you know, the creepiest part. Cause I, I don't like the, like watching those, the cave diver, like the cave diver people. Uh -oh, uh -oh. And like, especially when they do it underwater, like uh -oh. the scuba diver people, uh -oh. I'm like, you're fucking crazy because like you can't turn around, you know, like once you go through, you basically just have to keep going, but yeah. you're just squished in. And I, I can't No, like, I, no. I, I'm not claustrophobic necessarily. Like I'm not really claustrophobic, but that would freak me out. I am mildly claustrophobic, but it's more that like, I'm afraid of not being able to move. I'm afraid of being stuck or being like pinned. 
And like yeah. that thought, like just seeing that as a possibility is enough to like make my my heart just fucking explode. Uh, and this, uh, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, as above, so below. The plot of this movie, uh, we'll read the. Uh, I'll read the IMDb description. <clears throat> when a team of explorers ventures into the catacombs that lie beneath the streets of Paris, they uncover the dark secret that lies within this city of the dead, which is another description that I would say is like, it's yes, kind but not of. really. That is, yeah. yeah, it's not, that's not really the plot of this film. That is a, a an, an appropriate description of things that happen. Yes. It's I so I wonder when we read these IMDb descriptions and uh, these synopses and they're like mildly descriptive of the events of the film but don't really tell the plot and I I wonder how often that's intentional to like not spoil something but it doesn't really like that description doesn't really draw me in as much as what the actual plot of this film is. Yeah, because I mean, I think so. The actual plot of this film is a scientist, an archaeologist, uh, is following in her father's footsteps to find the philosopher's stone, mm -hmm. right? The which, the famed uh, stone, which you know, in alchemy, would give you instant wealth and immortality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like, so she's got this full on like Indiana Jones type persona, uh, which like eventually works very, very much. And not in her favor, uh, because there's that. Let me tell you, people, like we have this trope of like the brave adventurer, like boldly going into the into the depths of the unknown for the sake of exploration or wealth or for knowledge or whatever. But there is not really that fine of a line between brave adventurer and absolutely fucking stupid, and she just yeah. takes a running leap over that line constantly yeah. I, I mean you know i would say like i understand um i can i can extrapolate the idea of finishing my father's work like this is her you know as her wanting to finish the father's work mm -hmm. wanting to find the philosopher's stone because it's it's the it's the holy grail right there's very like last crusade elements to this where it, yeah. it is the holy grail thing that she's looking for um, and, and I get it, but I feel like the, it didn't make enough of a connection. And I think if they ditched the father storyline completely, the movie would have progressed basically just the same, give or take one or two scenes. I, I, I see that as it, it's a decent motivation for her and it doesn't, it doesn't really add or subtract from, from anything else. So like, I don't, sure. I don't really have a problem with that being like her driving factor, like her father started this quest uh, her, like, we don't know exactly what happens, but we know that people thought he went mad. We know that he hung himself. And so, like, was it the, the quest that, that drove him mad? Was it some, you know, information that he found, some, like, you know, dark ancient secrets of the deep uh, that drove him to madness? We, we don't know. And I, I like that. I like that they don't try to uh, dive too much deeper into that. It's just more of, like, She's picking up where where he left off, and it's important later in the plot that she has a sense of guilt uh, for kind of not being there for him. Like we, yeah. we find out that like 
he called and she didn't answer the phone and like she didn't realize how how bad things were for her and like she's she's holding on to that it's it's like it's weighing her down and it is also clouding her judgment when it comes time to make smart decisions rather than running blindly into a, a, a tunnel under under Paris that like she has no idea if there's a way out yeah, which uh, many times over, uh, it kind of get into a situation where it does not feel like there is a way out and mm-hmm. because they keep going further and further down. Um, now, for those of you that may have read the IMDb description and trivia of this, or for those of you who are uh, 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 bibliophiles who may have already read this, uh, there there is also a huge connection to Dante's Inferno uh, with this. There is, you know, the different levels of hell, and there's a lot of parallel elements. Which I, I love. Like that they do this in a way that is not like heavy handed. It's not like every time they pass through an archway, they're like, oh, this is the the fifth circle and that represents yeah. whatever. I, I haven't read the Inferno or the Divine Comedy. Uh, so I don't know what they all are, but the in the, the MDB trivia, there's some that were specifically referenced. Uh, but like if you know or if you've studied that at all, then these things will make sense. There's one that's that represents uh like vengeance or whatnot and there's you know the the um the state of limbo where like someone who wasn't bad enough to go to hell but didn't do enough good to go to heaven is just kind of trapped forever in like this in-between place and that's reference there's a lot of that like more subtle stuff i mean there is the overt over one of the archways it's inscribed abandon hope you who enter here uh which is of course the inscribed in the archway, the gates to hell in the, in the inferno. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Masonic imagery in this as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we see, uh, seemingly like a Knights of Templar, uh, type character who yeah. we assume oh. is Nicholas Flamel, which is based off that, that original, the original story of the philosopher stone and alchemist, uh, Nicholas Flamel is often seen as a character, um, you know, most notably, you know, I'm sure most of you perked your ears up with Nicholas Flamel and the Philosopher's Stone mm. is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone in in, yep. in, uh, in Europe. Um, but, it, you know, it's same idea. Nicholas Flamel finds the Philosopher's Stone, which is said to give you immortality uh, as well as other riches. It, so it's basically what she's after. And we see a character who is assumed to be uh, potentially Nicholas Flamel, uh, uh. his body. Although, interestingly enough, dead supposedly for several hundred years and in a tomb that there is seemingly only one way in and no way out of. Uh, and yeah, that, that's just an, sort of chilling. That's an interesting place for someone who's discovered the secret to immortality to end up. Yeah. Yeah. I. You know, I. The, that one always uh, gets me because it's like you know, oh, he found the source for stone. It's like, yeah, but then he, he didn't die because then he'd just be walking around now and be like, mm-hmm. hey, What's up, brother? I got the I got this the shit. I'm alive forever. I'm immortal. No, t- what was the name of that show where the guy was immortal? The Highlander? No. Oh. Yeah, that one too. <laughs> but there was some like CW show. Well, I would guess it was the WB back then where it was a guy was just immortal, but then he ended up going and solving crimes. Oh, I don't remember. I think I remember what you're talking about, but I, I don't remember what it was called. But so they're like I have heard other stories where like supposedly there's all these various characters throughout history who maybe could have been Nicholas Flamel and you know they talk about in this film uh, how uh, people went to to dig up him his like him and his wife's graves uh only to find them empty which furthered the legend that they actually never died uh 
and you know there there's also the the trope in um hollywood in particular where like uh, you know a person who is immortal can like kind of come back as someone else or like you know fake their own death come back as their child move somewhere start a new life and whatnot but eventually you reach modern day where things are like you know record keeping is better and it starts to get more difficult and so i wonder like if I, I had expected maybe they would try to do something like that, but they're like, no, he's been down here for 700 years. I'm like, okay, cool. I mean, I, we can go with that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of where I'm at with the new interview with the Vampire Show. Mm. Um, it's really cool. Uh, it's, on, it's on AMC. It is really cool, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's going through the familiar history of Louis and Lestat, and I'm like... Yeah. But I kind of want to know what he was doing now. Like, yeah. I kind of want to know what Louis is up to now. Like, how is he living? So, because he's like super rich and living in Dubai right now. Yeah. And I'm like, tell me that story. Like, I already get the Louis Lestat. Like, I know we'll get there eventually, right? Because, right. you know, they're only going through so much. But I'm like, tell me what the fuck you're doing right now, dude. <laughs> Well, and especially because, uh, again, later on in the film, there's more of an implication that maybe the stone itself isn't, is is really kind of more of a red herring. It's, it's like a misdirect, and like the actual power is elsewhere, uh, which it makes friendships. Yeah, the, the it was the friends we made along the way. The real the real philosopher's stone was the friends we made <laughs> along the way. Um, so like that maybe is implying that he never found the secret to eternal life, but he did find some sort of power and that's what he, what he had done there. But I don't know, it's, that part isn't very well explained. And I would almost have rather them just not have had the body there at all and just have the hiding place of the stone. Uh, and I think that would have, that would have been less distracting, um, Stylistically, this film is more of a of a documentary. So again, like kind of what Lake Mungo was trying to do, more along the lines of what Willow Creek was trying to do. But instead of like starting every every scene with a "Hey guys," uh, they actually do this like they're you know professionals making a documentary. Um, where I have a little bit of an issue with is. They they do a, a clever trick to have multiple camera angles for this found footage style documentary, uh, where the camera tech Benji uh, says, you know, I installed pin cameras into several of these headlamps, and it's like four of the characters in camera A, B, C, D, and as he turns them on, now we have different camera feeds. Cool, I buy that. That's great. Except, as happens in films like this, several characters die along the way. How did we find their footage? Because that's what I was wondering. Because because it was one one of the characters dies, and I'm like, wait a minute, we were just seeing through their perspective. How yeah. did we? How yeah. did you get the footage? Yeah. So I think I think at most at most three, but I think actually only two cameras actually survived this entire uh, ordeal. The original handheld and one of the head cams. So how did we get this film? Because. Yeah. Spoiler, uh, as you may have gathered by now, this group of adventurers goes into literal hell. So I don't think someone is just stumbling across this camera. So I think right then and there, they they screw themselves on the found footage thing. Yeah, I you know I was I was very curious about that because as as the film was progressing, I was like, well, you know, if they all die. How does someone find the footage? Because clearly they've gone into a, another, you know, they've gone to hell. You mm -hmm. know, it's very clear. There's no way back. And I'm like, with well, this, it seems very, like, sketchy of, of how they're going to get the footage. But then, 
spoiler, uh, three of them do make it out alive of the six, I think, yeah. or so, that that actually go down there. Uh, six of us went down there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and only three survive, and I get maybe, you know, they could have snagged the, the headlamps off somebody, but at the same time, it's like, it, it seems so quick in the moment. Like some of them die so quickly in the moment and get pulled away and stuff like that. It's like, you didn't be like, uh, hang on, let me go back and get the yeah. the thing. Now I want to stress that like, this is in no way saying that this movie, that that is the unbelievable part of this movie <laughs> um, because it's not, that's more of one of those like, hang on, you know, but it didn't, it didn't ruin the movie for me, but it definitely made me be like, well, how did you get the footage then? Yeah. So this is me nitpicking the technicalities of the film, not, not really the, the storyline, but yeah. So there, there are six people that, that go into the catacombs that night. Uh, so we have our, our main character, um, Scarlett and her friend, George, who has been like her translator and her adventuring buddy and probably lover at some point, uh, as well as the camera tech, Benji, who is the one who is making the documentary about Scarlet's search for the Philosopher's Stone. They're met up with uh, three lo French locals who kind of know the underground and are, you know, for the right price, willing to take uh, people down and like you explore the the places that are off limits to normal tours uh and then there's papillon zed and suxi the banshee suxi uh, which yeah. I, I think it's funny that they keep pronouncing it suxi you know suzy um it's suzy yeah suzy and the banshees is of course yes a, a reference to suzy and the banshees um but yeah so the, the six of them go down and that's like that's where it starts for me uh in the the actual like scariness of this whole thing that it's you know three foreigners, three locals, all going down in this tunnel together, but like essentially six strangers, and no one else knows that they're going there. So they're yeah. they're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and, deeper. <laughs> and no one knows where the fuck they are. And of course, we have our uh, our isolation establishment immediately when they're like, "Oh, no cell phones will work down there." Like, cool. So that's out of the way. We just don't even have to think about that anymore. They are cut off. Yeah, I you know I think that is. You know, I, I understand that, like, she has a little bit of blinders on about, like, hey, I have to go and get this thing. Like, you know, it's it's part of my dad's legacy. It's, you know, it's my driving. It's, you know, my guilt that's driving me to this. But, like, this is another one of those, like, 47 meters down where I was like, this is a red flag. Mm -hmm. Like, strangers in another country, people you don't know are taking you to a far-off, isolated place. Like, this is how foreigners get robbed and killed, mm -hmm. you know? Because, mm -hmm. like, this is exactly how this happens. Um, so, I, you know, I think that was that was very, like, red flag. Oh, my you God. You know, but, yeah. Just this past week, hanging out with some friends before I, I came back home, uh, and someone was telling a story about how they were they were traveling abroad and they hung out with some locals for like the entire day and everything was awesome and they're like oh you got to come back with us to this party and they go and it's legit like an abandoned house in the middle of nowhere and they're like yeah we're not doing this and yeah. like okay cool so you saved yourself from at minimum being robbed that night right <laughs> good, right like uh, a little bit late but good decision making <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, and, and the thing is, is like uh, for all of our European visitor uh, listeners, yeah, I mean, you guys are probably just more hospitable than Americans are. We're we're shady as fuck, and we don't trust anybody. No, um, but like. 
that also does happen mm-hmm, to people, mm-hmm. and I'm sure Americans do it to foreigners here too. So yeah. it's not like you know yeah. this isn't a this just isn't a Europe don't thing. go to Paris and uh, uh, you know because someone will take you down in a tunnel and kill you. Uh, it's just like maybe just don't go into to caves and tunnels with strangers or yeah. you know, shark diving or. Uh, all the other various <laughs> terrible things that we've <laughs> seen. Parties at do. abandoned houses. Parties at abandoned houses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we, we get like we get an early glimpse of exactly who Scarlet is and what like what lengths she'll go to uh, as we learn that she's in Iran at the start of the film, uh, trying to find a particular piece of of lost. Uh, evidence uh, in a cave that's going to be like imploded by the Iranian government. And she knows that like, you know, if she gets caught trespassing in these caves, the punishment is a very gruesome death. She said they'll bury her up to her neck in sand and then push a wall on her head. Like, that's, that is a very specific punishment. Yeah. Uh, but she it's does. also a very complicated one. Like that, that's yeah. like manpower. Yeah. Like, that, that that's takes, not just like a pew to the head. <laughs> that, that takes a lot of effort and planning. Like there's, there's engineering involved in that, which I yeah. mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she, she's got a contact there who like happens to have a secret entrance to the, the cave site and he helps her in. And, you know, as they're down there, they hear the, the sirens going off and the explosions start. And he's like, look, I've got a family. I'm out. She's like, you're fine. I have to get all of this writing from off of this uh, bull statue, which is apparently basically like a, a cipher for uh, some some code that she needs to understand the location of the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, it's it's very strange that she just happens to stumble across this exact thing as she's looking for in just the, the right place. But she does. Okay, cool. That's that's fine. But like the explosions are happening around her and she's still just like, I have to get this, these last images. And then on her way out, we get a quick glimpse of uh, a man hanging from the, the roof and calling her name. And then she turns away and turns back. He's not there. Uh, we later learn that that's uh, like it, basically like a flashback of her father. Unclear if this... Like if the later events uh, in the catacombs in Paris are connected to this, or if that's more her grief uh, coming through, we don't know. She does, but like just barely make it out alive. But like, here's someone who like just just scrapes by and avoids multiple forms of potentially painful death, uh, and is like, can't wait to do that again. Yeah, let's go catacomb crawling uh, through the whole thing. Yeah, uh, so she eventually meets up with uh, with George, mm-hmm. uh, who is played by Ben Feldman, uh, who was in another famous found footage film. Uh, he was in uh, Cloverfield, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he plays the character of Travis in uh, Cloverfield. So, uh, yeah, so Ben uh, Ben Feldman. That was my other thing about this, is that I recognized half of the main characters. I was like, I've seen you in other things before. So that slightly took me out of it mm. a little bit, only because I was like, oh, yeah, you're the dude from, you know, whatever, like <laughs> I mean, the other shows. fucking Superstore, he's in Silicon Valley, yeah. he's in Mad Men, he, like, he's been around a lot. And then yeah. um, Scarlet was Perdita Weeks, and she's been in quite a few things as well. She was in uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, fairly recently, yeah. Uh, and 
uh, what is, uh, uh, Edward Hodge Ben or Edwin Hodge Benji. Yep, yep, uh, yep. Was in uh, a couple of other things, but actually Ben uh, Ben Feldman and Edwin Hodge were both in NCIS. Aha, there it and is. There's our connection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's just everyone like, is in NCIS. It, it, it is a lot of familiar faces, which again is difficult with like the whole idea that the found footage is like you're not supposed to recognize any people because it's supposed to feel real, and right. it immediately doesn't when you cast known actors. Yeah. Uh, so they eventually, you know, the, the, she meets up with George. George is her translator person, right? We, cl- we hear mm-hmm. that they have a little bit of a past. Um, apparently she left him in Turkey uh, when they were off doing a dig. You know, Bonk. again, this is to show her blinding uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Her, just her, her willingness to do whatever it takes and like fuck the consequences. And like, yeah, she, she only thinks about like her goal and not necessarily who's hurt along the way, which spoiler, lots of people are hurt along the way. Oh yeah. It, it ain't, it ain't pretty. And, uh, and then we also see, you know, the whole thing uh, behind it is that Benji is with them the entire time because he is filming a documentary about, uh, Scarlet going to find mm-hmm. the philosopher's stone. So those are our three, uh, we'll say American, but Scarlet is an American, but those are our three American main leads. And then we've already mentioned the three, uh, French, mm-hmm. uh, people that she ends up, uh, connecting with to take her through the catacombs. Um, so off they go. Now they're down they're in the catacombs. Now, uh, again, we kind of mentioned that this is like Dante's Inferno, the divine comedy, like this is, they go through all of the parallel type of different levels. And, you know, as Caleb mentioned, they don't say like, we're on the fourth floor now, but like, there is that sort of like the fourth floor they get to mm-hmm. it does you know or the seventh or the sixth or whatever kind of mirrors what happens in the book and so the the implication is and like i i think i i might have picked up on this on my own i'm not sure but i did read this in the the trivia ahead of time so uh, as they're going through the the caves they're looking for a particular hidden chamber uh that they were able to determine based on the this uh, uh this poem that they found of nicholas flamel's which shockingly rhymes when translated into english like pretty brilliant for someone who would never have written in english especially in like the modern form that they're translating it into yeah. uh and they they use that to, to find the clue and realize that like oh like there's this these sections of tunnels that and, like collapsed in you know hundreds of years ago and like how could they have collapsed unless there was you know, catacomb underneath it, but it's not marked on the map. So they use that to determine where to go. And Papillon is like, oh, I know exactly how to get there. We've got to crawl through this really tight-fitting tunnel over all of these bones. And, of course, Benji rightfully is like, mm fuck that. Nope, uh, not I mean, doing like, that. <laughs> George didn't even want to come, but, like, a- ended up having to, like, join in a hurry when they were, like, attacked by the cops just before going in the, the tunnel, which is... A whole thing in and of itself. Uh, first good jump scare in the film, though, when one of the cops just runs and tackles one of the <laughs> and guys. Just tackles him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, all, you know, there's some some reluctance in the group, but they're like, no, this is the way to go. Um, Scarlet points out another uh, tunnel entrance, and the the French people are like, no, 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 that one's evil. Like, we don't go there. We're going. We're climbing over the bones. Like our friend Latope. Uh, which translates to the mole. Uh, he he went in there two years ago and never came out. Nobody comes out of that tunnel. And they're like, okay, I guess the bones it is. So they crawl through this super, super narrow, long tunnel of bones with Benji at one point getting stuck and having a freak out. And again, very scary. Uh, 
they come out the other side only to find themselves right back in the chamber where they started, except now the entrance is sealed. And that presumably is where they first enter hell. And that is, yeah, so that is level one uh, where they get it. I, you know... I really loved the symbology throughout this entire movie about, you know, like when they, they get to at one point of, in the film, they get to this one thing where this is where the first, the, the deceiving philosopher stone is there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's all this iconography all over the place. And then they end up going one level down below it. And then it's an exact like upside down mirrored oh. image of the one be- above it. You know, she says that's where like they say as above, so below, mm-hmm. you know, she's, you know, uh, just like in the, you know, the, our father, uh, yeah. chant, I don't know, whatever on, the, the prayer, the large prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, yeah. and like, there's, there's kind of a lot of that, the symbology, uh, throughout alchemy, throughout the occult, throughout the Bible. Uh, and she references several different interpretations of it, uh, whether it be like, on earth as it is in heaven, uh, you know, below ground as, as it is above, like, you know, the ceiling versus the floor, uh, my belief versus reality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all, all very interesting and very connected and that, that plays into, into, um, into the story several times. Um, but as, so as the chamber seals behind them, they realize that the only choice is to go through the evil tunnel. Uh, yeah, which leads me to wonder: was that 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 one tunnel ever really evil, or was it just maybe particularly dangerous, and that's why no one comes back? Because they do smash their way through, and very shortly afterwards, they find Latope. Uh, Latope, who is just sort of chilling uh, in there. Of course, you know, as an audience, we notice that his eyes are all blackened out like a demon's right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our like, hey, this guy's probably a demon. And so, like, it, it's it's referenced in the the trivia event. Like, they're now in the first circle of hell, which, as we said earlier, is limbo. And Latope wasn't a bad guy. Maybe just wasn't quite good enough. And he is he's stuck there. And like he, like he is in fact dead. Like they didn't find him alive after two years, like subsisting on rats or something like that. Like, no, he is just straight up dead. And that's creepy because he's just like, he moves unnaturally fast. And then sometimes we'll just stand there staring. There's a couple of moments where like the camera pans and like, you see him there where he shouldn't be. And then he's not later on. He's just very, very fucking creepy, creepy role uh, played expertly by uh let me find uh, find his name uh cosmic uh, cosmic castro uh, that's amazing name just uh just a brilliant performance uh, and honestly probably the creepiest character in the entire entire film I, you know, he has those moments where he's just sort of staring off into space and mm-hmm. it isn't it doesn't look like he's staring off into space. It literally looks like his body has just stopped. Like it looks like he is just standing there dead. And that is what he does. He pulls that off. So creepy. Like he only, you know, he'll sort of snap out of it when, when somebody like actually approaches him and starts talking to him, then he's like, Oh yeah, we got to go this way. And it's just like, Oh Jesus Christ. He was very, very creepy throughout Mm -hmm. this whole thing. And you know, like you said, there is, there is a scene where they have to, uh, go underwater under like a wall and get to the next section and they all do that and they get out and they're all soaking wet but Latope is already on the other side and he is perfectly dry and that's another one of those examples where you're like oh shit you know and that's one of those ones where I was like did nobody be like wait a minute 
you're completely dry. How did you go over here? I just think, you know, I could see them not noticing because of everything else that was happening. But I was like, he's dry. Wait a minute. And I was like, oh. They're really, I mean, honestly, there were a lot of flags about the taupe that they, they probably should have gone on to. I mean, there were there were a lot of flags in general. Like when yeah. they found the piano that George says was just like the one he had in his childhood home and the A4 key didn't work. And oh, what's this? Plink, plink. The A4 key doesn't work. Oh, shit. And then there's a phone ringing that draws Scarlet deeper and deeper and stupidly farther into the tunnel until she finds it and answers. And it's a, a strangling voice. Like, why didn't you come for me or whatever? And yeah, why didn't you answer me? Why didn't you answer me? And so it's, it's implied that this is the call that, that, that she didn't answer from her father. Uh, and so, like, again, there's these, these weird associations. We learn that George doesn't like to go into caves because his brother got caught and drowned in one as a kid. And he carries that weight of, you know, he said he would go back for, you know, come back with help, but he got lost and took too long and his brother died waiting for him. So he carries that guilt. Uh, we learn later on that Papillon has, um, uh, some guilt on his conscience from a, a death that like he, he believes that he wasn't responsible for, but turns out he probably was. And that's how he got this scar that he doesn't talk about. And that comes back to, uh, to, to bite him, uh, in a very, very Dante-esque way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, Zed, uh, also he had one where he, um, uh, basically fathered a child, but completely, completely denies that the child is his and just ignores it and, and denies it. And we see a sort of callback to that. The only person that we don't really, uh, get any sort of, uh, um, information on is one Latoupe, what his sin is. Yeah. And Susie, we don't know what her sin is, but we see, uh, you know, eventually Latoupe just snaps and goes bonkers and smashes Susie's face in. Yeah. That, I mean, that scene was brutal. Absolutely fucking yeah. brutal. Uh, and like, it, it, I was a little bit distracted by, by that scene because they had just shown in like one of the previous chambers, uh, Scarlet finds the stone or, or so she thinks she finds the stone and uh, Susie gets caught in a, a like a, a cave in and she has this massive gash on her arm and Scarlet's able to use the stone to heal the wound. I'm like, Okay, so the like in this scene, she's cautiously approaching Latope, and it's like in in any in any movie like this, I would think, all right, like he's gonna snap, and he's gonna kill her. But I kept thinking, why would they have healed her like ten minutes previous, only to then kill her here? Like that doesn't yeah. make sense. Oh, he did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you know, and there's uh, so my I guess you know we see that uh, uh, twice she heals somebody with the stone mm -hmm. um, because she heals George's neck um, after it gets uh, ripped out, and then she heals, uh, or and then previously she healed Scarlet. But we learn that that is not actually the sort the the philosopher's stone. Um, so basically, it's it's like a fake out stone. Um, and then this is where, like, the ending of the movie, you know, she gets the stone, they go into the, the next level, they keep going down and down, and it gets creepier and creepier, and people start dying. This movie was really creepy. Yeah. I will give it that. Is it, it has a lot of, like... 
Like, this is definitely a movie that would take advantage of watching in as dark of a room as, as possible. Oh, yeah. Um, because it really takes advantage of that, like, oh, shit, what did I just see? Mm-hmm. You know, like, space. And I really, I really like that there's, about this. There's a couple of recurring background characters you see that just add, like, a super creepiness to it. Like, there's a, a woman that the Benji sees as they're walking into, like, a nightclub originally to meet with Papillon. And, like, she just kind of turns her head and stares as she walks by. And then he sees her again in the, the caves a couple of times. There's times when she just walks by in the background. Later on, there's a, a like cloaked and hooded figure who may or may not be Lucifer. We don't know. But like yeah. he kind of walks by as like, you know, like your your attention is on him uh, as you're seeing that there's these like looks like bodies that are trapped in the stone and like petrified, but like suddenly they come to life and attack. Uh, I think like they they maybe showed a little too much of the monster in those scenes, um, but they're also like quick cuts with the camera and like the you know, things like cutting out and short uh, like shorting out and like people moving around so much you can't really see a lot. So it's not as bad as it could be. Um, but as we we've talked about so many times, you want to see the monsters or the scary things as little as possible in these films to to really keep the the creep factor up. And so I like that like the your attention is on the the hooded figure, these things attack and then you lose the hooded figure. Like, Oh fuck. Where's he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that happens a lot. And you know, I got to give it to Scarlett. So the actress that played Scarlett is Perdita weeks, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and she did a really great job because there is, there is a scene where she realizes, you know, she has the realization that like, Oh shit, this isn't the, the philosopher's stone. So I had to, t- she has to take it from the heaven one and put it to the earth, you know, the hell one, right? Like mm-hmm. she has to swap the stones and then the second stone, or at least that's what she, the logic that she makes. She's like, that's how this works. I pull it from the one area, go down to the other, to the flip version, mm-hmm. and then swap out the stones there. And that's how I get the philosopher stone to which she goes and finds out that that's not actually what it is, is that she replaces it into the, the, the second level. And then there's like a little bit of a mirror. So it's like, Oh, the power was really within you the the whole time. Right. Which, yeah, that, that felt a little bit underdeveloped. Uh, it, it was, was the friends, you know, the friends the real, we made along the way. Yeah, the real. Yeah, that's exactly so, what it felt like. Uh, <laughs> which is why that joke is so much funnier. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting concept, and it's one that you either have to like really explain well of why you're doing it, or you have to not do it because underdeveloped like that, it's like. Okay, so does she have magical powers now? Is she the Philosopher's Stone? Is yeah. that what became of Nicholas Flamel? In that case, like, why is he dead? Why did he bury himself and the stone in, like, halfway to hell, quite literally, uh, and, and, like, leave all these, like, crazy riddles behind for someone to eventually decipher and find, only for there to not actually be a real stone? Like, why not just include in the riddles that there is no real stone, because uh, if you're going to put someone through the effort of, of figuring all that out, why make them come halfway to hell to, to seek it? And then there's also, like, you know, again, referencing, like, Indiana Jones-style type uh, stories. Uh, there's treasure in the room where they find the stone, and, of course, the treasure is a lure for greedy people who, like, overlook the, you know, unassuming stone set in the wall for the shimmering gold and whatnot, and that's what causes the cave-in. Again, why bother? Why would you leave your gold coins just on the ground? I never understood that about any yeah. of these sort of like, They're you know, archaeology. About. 
Yeah, they're not in like boxes. They're not stacked neatly. They literally just throw them on the ground. They're like, yeah, that's fine. That's mm-hmm. where I keep my coins. Uh, yeah, I, I would say of all of my complaints about this movie, that part at the end is where it, it's it wasn't really, it's not really a stone. It's not a physical stone. It's more metaphorical. Yeah. I was like, hey, it's really shaky. And because it's like the end of the movie, it almost feels rushed. Yeah. Uh, and of all my complaints, uh, complaints about this movie, that is my biggest one. Because that was the one where I was like, I don't under, like, what, so what is the implications? I don't understand what, what that means. Like, what does that ending mean then? What does make it kind of interesting and like kind of make it work even without the the proper exposition on the 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 realities of the stone is this whole idea and i'm i'm gonna i'm i'm forgetting the actual word that they use in the film but basically um they had to put right the things that, that they had done so like she originally interprets it as oh i have to replace the stone and that will reveal the hidden stone the actual stone and that's when she finds the power within her but then she's able to translate that to like oh that's our way out like we have to come to terms with the the things that are haunting us and make that right in ourselves in order to escape they find this like impossibly deep uh, hole essentially, and they're like, "There's no way we can climb down that." She's like, "No, we have to. We have to jump." Like, what? Like, what's holding you back? And George talks about you know not being able to to save his brother, and we already know for Scarlet, it's her father. Like she like she sees an apparition of her father as she's trying to escape the the tunnels, and she says, "You know, I'm sorry, I wasn't there for you. Didn't know how much pain you were in." And the apparition disappears, and we learn about Zed and and his child. So like, they all come to terms with this, and she's like, "We have." We have to go together and then jump and like that ends up being their way out. And so like I think that that's really interesting that the only way to escape hell was to come to terms with the sins of your past and uh, begin that process of, of healing and restoration. Uh, and that is it's, it's a really interesting way to wrap up the storyline. It is a little bit rushed and underdeveloped, but it is it is cool. Uh, it, it was a little bit of a leap from the stone to that. Yeah, I think I think that's my my disconnect is that you know the the stone was a physical manifestation of immortality and alchemy, mm-hmm. but she trades it for what? Mm-hmm. For knowledge that the only for the knowledge to get out of hell, which I guess doesn't. It, that's my only thing where I'm like, yeah, but like you traded in a thing which had an embodiment and an and and a, a thing like it did a thing, and you got out of it an exit to a very specific place in a very specific scenario, it doesn't feel like, I don't feel the connection. Yeah, because That's like, my only issue. The stone yeah. is the reason they were there, and giving up the stone was the only way that they could get out, was the lesson that, like, mankind was never meant to have this. Right. Was it that, like, again, you, you gain the power of the stone by giving it up? Uh, like, there, there's a few different potential moral lessons here that aren't actually... Nailed. They're not really executed on. They're just missing, like, uh, I mean, a sentence or two of, like, oh, it was, Mm -hmm. 
Like this is why Nicholas Femmel is down here stuck, you know, like it just needed one sort of little extra explanation. But yeah, so they, they repent and atone for their sins, Mm -hmm. uh, jump down this giant hole land. They end up, uh, basically seeing a manhole cover, Mm -hmm. uh, in the ground, they push it down and then end up having to get, when they go down it, they're really coming up from the city streets of Paris. And I thought that was a really cool shot. And I loved that. There are some really, really fucking clever shots. And they do a lot of really interesting things with sound in this. Like there's, you know, these ominous, like booming noises and stuff like that throughout. There's a scene where like they step into water and suddenly everything is all like yep. sounding until they get out of warbled. it. Warbled. Uh, and in this like climactic scene, as they're crawling out, through this manhole and up onto the streets, you're still hearing the sounds of hell and like the, the cries and the moans and screams and the, like the booming noises and whatnot until all three of them are up on the street. And then suddenly it's just a quiet city street at night and you see people walking around. And I will say this has probably one of the best ending sequences I've seen in a film like this. Uh, like, where they all just like kind of stand there and just like look at each other in disbelief and like hug each other. And Zed just kind of like, and just like walks away and Scarlet, like, I see you later. He's just like, I I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. See you never. Uh, And Scarlet just hugs George and then just like kind of laugh and sob. And it's just over. Yeah, I I did like that. Um, You know, then we get a uh, one last shot of Scarlett in the beginning of the film being interviewed by Benji talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, what she wanted to do. She's not doing it for riches or fame. She's she's doing it for the the knowledge. The pursuit of truth. This should be in a museum. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, You know, I... uh, Yeah. So so that is uh, as above, so below. Um, I, I do think this movie was really creepy. There was a lot of elements to this movie that I was like, oh shit, like that is really creepy. I mean, mm-hmm. you get the demon elements, you got the, what was that in the background? You've got the claustrophobic elements. Like there was a lot to this film that I think, uh, was done well and, uh, really kept you like, uh, like that holding your breath type yeah type thing i think they did this really well of all the found footage films aside from the blair witch project uh this was probably the one film that so far that really got me like like yeah anxious about what was happening yeah from a standpoint of the art the cinematography the sound design the acting like the the art and craft of this film uh yeah absolutely i i think it was pretty masterfully done narrative could use a little bit of work as we mentioned um should people watch it? Listen, if you're like me and you're scared of tight spaces um, and that makes you really uncomfortable, I, maybe not. Maybe, maybe take a pass on yeah. this because like, it was hard to watch on several occasions. Uh, but if that kind of thing scares you but is thrilling, then absolutely uh, you, will, you, will be, you won't be let down by that. Um, there are some jump scares to be aware of, but you know, it's kind of to be expected in this. Um, I don't personally find the occult imagery scary in this, but someone who, who does that there's, there's plenty of that, uh, to, to help you. So yeah, for, for a good scare. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that there, there's a lot more that this film could have done, but what it does, it does well. 
Uh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think this is, this is a creepy movie. It leans in on the creep factor really well. You know, uh, our complaints of it so far have been, you know, minimal. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is just like, you leave it though and you're like but wait what about mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. i don't necessarily think is always a bad thing no um i think a lot of good movies do that and that's it's not bad i mean we we hold blair witch up as the you know the the shining example of this genre but there's plenty that they could have done as well in the narrative if you like really want to break it down so that's not really a a, a strong criticism it's just i liked this enough to want more yeah. So As Above, So Below uh, is actually now streaming on Hulu. Uh, so if you are interested and you want to watch this movie, that's where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it is on demand all of the other places. Uh, yeah. So so As Above, So Below, that is the second to last found footage film we're doing. So the last one we're doing is Hell House LLC, the director's cut. Oh. And, yeah. Uh, so that one is on Tubi. I, I am, I'm a bit nervous uh, of of how much uh, how much more the the scare factor can be ramped up uh, from from one of my true fears, <laughs> Bigfoot. <laughs> yes, yes, Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot is my true fear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, yeah. I'm I'm excited to see how creepy this next one is because this one was creepy. This one mm-hmm, uh, this mm-hmm. one got me. I think of all the films this month, uh, this has been the only one that actually like got me in the creep factor. All the rest didn't. Yep. Uh, but this one definitely did. Same. Uh, yeah. So uh, there it is. So so Hell House LLC is the one we're going to be covering next Sunday. Um, so hey, if you have not subscribed yet, make sure to do so. We super appreciate it. It's how you're going to get notified when we have brand new episodes, which we do every Thursday and Sunday. So mm-hmm. that's cool. That's true. Uh, yeah. So Thursdays is uh, right now. Uh, for those of you listening, we just had our season finale with uh, the Superpod HeroCast crew, Casey and Todd, because uh, that is the season finale of She-Hulk. And then next week's episode is going to be, I don't know, whatever we were watching. Whatever the fuck we want, because that's how we roll. Yeah, that's how we roll. Uh, But yeah, so there it is, everyone. Hey, thanks a lot for watching. We super appreciate it. And as always, make sure to share with 10,000 of your closest uh, Nicholas Femel friends, but actually 100,000 because I messed it up. And then those 100,000 people will each share with the 6 million people buried beneath Paris. And that is creepy. Listenership will, uh, will just skyrocket overnight. (laughs) it's better than buying uh ads and apps Uh, (laughs) so there it is everyone thanks a lot for joining us and we will see you next time or will we yeah we will combat exploration and role play these are known as the three pillars of play that make every game of dungeons and dragons exciting tense and rewarding but we believe there's another pillar to the world's greatest role-playing game and that fourth pillar is creation are you a dungeon master who has always wanted to create your own monsters execute your own adventures, design your own challenges, spells, classes, and lineages? That is what we here at the Fourth Pillar of Play, a Night Shift radio production, are doing. Learning game design by designing games. We are not professionals. We are enthusiastic amateurs, just like many of you. So join us as we review and discuss information by professional game designers and put theory into practice by creating new worlds, new monsters, and new opportunities for heroic players. I'm Josh. And I'm Talon. Join us at the fourth pillar of play, available wherever you download your podcasts or visit us at www.fourthpillarofplay.com. And we look forward to creating with you.